Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome back to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. And on today's show, we're going to cover two things. One, we're going to have Brian back on the show here to give us a quick Jacksonville update. He's got some new construction opportunities in the Jacksonville market, which I think you might be excited about. And then I have three great questions that have come in recently from our listeners, and I'm going to cover that here right after we talk to Brian. So I am going to get to Brian here in 30 seconds. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. It's my pleasure to welcome back one of our Jacksonville providers. I have Brian on the line here who wants to give us an update on the Jacksonville market, but more importantly, he wants to give us an update on an exciting new construction project that he has going on. So Brian, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me, Marco. It's good to uh, hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Thanks for coming back on the show for a quick update on the Jacksonville market. Um, that's a good place to start, Brian. Let's uh, let's talk about what has transpired since episode number 21, where we did an entire episode with you on the Jacksonville market. And we talked about not only what's going on there, um, but the product type that you guys are producing as far as turnkey rental properties. So what has changed since then? And, and if you want, just highlight some of the things you talked about in the past that would make good highlights for new listeners. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just so to revisit just very briefly uh, for the listeners, uh, you know, our, we started investing in single family homes and in, in foreclosed property in particular back in 98 in Bakersfield. Uh, and that was at the time a, had a third of the foreclosure activity in the state of California. So we saw it as a huge opportunity and uh, we went in there pretty green uh, and made, you know, made some mistakes in the beginning and but very quickly built a really good team and so from 98 to 04, we built up a, a portfolio of a couple hundred homes. And then, you know, most of the listeners know what happened in California between 04 and 06. And we were fortunate enough to start liquidating in 04. And we sold every home that we ho owned in California uh, between 04 and 06. So we made a, a really good play there and, and made millions of do dollars very, fairly quickly. Um, and then, you know, moved a lot of the, the resources and the capital into Jacksonville, which, uh, Timing wasn't the best to do that. 06 and 07 in Florida was not the time to be placing capital. So we realized that uh, very quickly and then backed off uh, 2008 to 2011 when Jacksonville bottomed out. And then 2011, fast forward to today, we came back into the market slowly in, in, in 11 and since have built up a, a good sized portfolio. We're right around 170 homes and providing a lot of turnkey investments for uh, for investors like yourselves. So an update on Jacksonville uh, since we spoke last, Marco, um, which was only about a year ago. Honestly, nothing has radically changed. Obviously, the fundamentals are what they are. Um, so really just to focus and give you an update on the timing in the market and where we're at in the cycle. We are still in, a, in moving through recovery and in a buyer's market, in my opinion, in our niche in Jacksonville. Um, obviously, a year ago, there was more inventory, and we definitely have felt 
you know, the pinch of inventory in our bread and butter, solid working class neighborhoods in Jacksonville, where, you know, when you and I spoke uh, in episode 21, we were probably doing, you know, 10 or 12 transactions very consistently a month, meaning buying the foreclosures from the bank, fixing them up, you know, renting them out and then offering them as turnkeys. So fast forward to today, a year later, uh, we're probably honestly doing half of that volume. Um, we're doing five or six a month of those foreclosures. Um, and it's not by our choice. It's, it's just a, a, a matter of fact because the inventory is shrinking here. So that's not a surprise to me because that's what happens when you're moving through recovery. So about six or eight months ago, um, I started you know, sniffing around for other opportunities within our niche, within our uh, wheelhouse and the areas where we're uh, already heavily invested in Jacksonville and um, put together a joint venture with a, uh, a developer and we, we locked down a 11-acre uh, parcel called Glenda Meadows, which I know you have on your site there. Mm -hmm. And um, we're developing 34 homes of which uh, the community is actually two-thirds sold out. And we literally just broke ground on the first three lots um, last week. So they just poured the slabs on the first three. So we have uh, nine or ten remaining. Um, and so this is you know, just an introduction to that. Um, we have not moved away from our bread and butter business. We still do our you know, half a dozen uh, foreclosures a month in those neighborhoods that I talked about in episode 21. So that model has not gone away. It's just the volume has, has shrunken because of the recovery. Uh, we're, we're doing, obviously, doing some new construction and we, we're negotiating a couple other uh, projects as well after Glenda Meadows uh, sells out, which I anticipate at the rate it's going will be sold out in the next, you know, 30 days or so. So, we're just going to keep looking for opportunities. You know, we'll never force deals. Um, there's a reason why we, you know, backed off of buying in, in 2002 and 2003 and then started liquidating in, in California. I mean, at the end of the day, the market's going to tell you what to do. Um, so we're still doing, you know, solid five or six a month on the, on the foreclosed property in these older established neighborhoods. And now we have this opportunity of this new construction. And, and in fact, the new construction is, um, about a mile from where I own the majority of our, our, um, established portfolio. So it's in that West side pocket that I talked about. Um, so still in the same wheelhouse, uh, price points are obviously different. And I'd say in the older established neighborhoods, you know, we're, we're probably, a you know, C plus B minus type rating. Um, the new construction is, is definitely a bump up. And I would say, you know, a, a minus rating as far as the neighborhood goes, and the price point's different. So in our our typical renovated home in these older established neighborhoods, um, we are selling our sweet spots about 100 to 115, you know, three bedroom, two bath, four bedroom, two bath. It's rented between 1,000 and 1,100 a month. And the new construction is um, two different floor plans. So the, the sales price is uh, 160 on the, the smaller 1,500 square foot. Um, and, uh, 168 on the 1600 square foot. So we're doing four bedroom, two bath, um, attached two car garage on both floor plans, and then just doing some different elevations and mirroring the floor plans for this little boutique community that we're, we're building out in Glenda's meadow. Like I said, it's, you know, two thirds sold out. So we have about 10 left and, um, you know, I'm sure a question would be, you know, ratio of, of homeowner to, 
to renters were somewhere when we're done building out phase two, because phase one of Glenda Meadows was already built out. It's about 60 plus homes. So that is completely occupied. Um, and to our knowledge, there's only like one or two rentals out of the 60 plus homes in there. Um, so when we're done with the, the build out, we'll be in the, you know, 70, 30 ratio, uh, homeowner versus, uh, landlord when phase two is built out. So it's a, it's an interesting little project. It's a, it's a solid neighborhood. And again, it's in our wheelhouse. It's just a, a new construction uh, product versus our older renovated homes. Yep. That's good ratio. And these are all pre-construction, right? So none of these are on the ground yet. They're being built. That's correct. So, um, the, the remaining 10 or so lots that we have are obviously at the, the back end of the project. So all the, 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 way, the way the process works is you're, you hit the nail on the head. We're selling pre-construction homes uh, and we're getting a $3,000 uh, security binder that goes to the escrow company that's going to facilitate the closing for the investor. And so they can lock in at the sales price, uh, the two sales prices that I, I, ju I just quoted um, today for $3,000. And then honestly, that's that last third of the, of the 34 homes, um, they would be looking at summer of next year before completion. So in a nutshell, what I'm saying is you're, you know, you're locking into the sales price on a brand new construction home that will be, uh, completed in sometime in the summer of, uh, next year. And obviously I could give you the exact date depending on the lot. Once we, uh, talk to the investor and, you know, we'll be, we have management obviously lined up and because you'll be in that last third of the community, you know, you're, you're not the guinea pig. Obviously the two thirds will be built out and, you know, some of them will be FHA sales. Some of them will be rentals. Um, so we'll already have that momentum and, you know, the, the comparables and everything set. So you're sort of coming in on the, the back third of that project. These are really nice properties. I remember buying four new construction uh, homes in Southwest Florida back in 2005 and 2006. Actually, they weren't even new construction. They were pre-construction, so they weren't even built. Uh, so I didn't take possession for six to 12 months on those properties. But um, but the product type you have here is about 160,000. They're four bedroom, two bath homes. They're over 1,500 square feet. They're in what what we would grade as an A minus type neighborhood. Um, what I find interesting is the price per square foot is $105, which is relatively speaking compared to other new construction projects cheap um you know i see a lot of projects out there 130 140 bucks a square foot i don't know how you're doing it must be a really low land cost that, that's that's exactly right i mean you make your money when you buy as you know you've been doing it a long time too so yeah we, we did get a, a a great deal on, on the dirt on the 11 acres um because that the previous developer obviously built out phase one and he started to do really well, but then the, the world unraveled sort of in the middle of his project and uh, he didn't develop those last 11 acres. And that's uh, where we came in in the last year and picked it up and, um, you know, worked with the city to get all the, the permitting going and uh, the plat map. And uh, it's been a little, it's been a definitely been a little bit of a, a, a project, but new construction is, and we're, like I said, we literally just poured the, the three slabs uh, in the last week for the first three homes and then just to manage everyone's expectations, um, you know, the remaining 10 that are available, we're only doing three new startups every 30 days because the last thing I want to do is flood the market with, you know, homes for sale or homes for rent, you know, 30 of them in a, one little pocket all at the same time. So we're obviously doing it slow and strategically and, um, you know, treating it as a, a little boutique community, um, which, again, it's a community that's already built out. We're just building out phase two. 
I think uh, the listeners should know that these are uh, not only attractive homes, but from a cash flow perspective, they are very attractive. The rates of return are decent, um, but but what's important to understand is if you're comparing an apple to an orange, you have to realize that anytime you're looking at new construction these days, you're not going to find the same rates of return as you'll find on newly refurbished properties. The new construction will always be a little bit lower, but with these there's a bit of an equity play um, or appreciation play with this because of where the Jacksonville market cycle is and the tremendous amount of population growth that's going on and the one year delay, or I don't know how long it's going to be, but let's just say it's a year from now before you take possession of these properties, chances are pretty good that you'll have a gain in equity because the market is continuing to go up. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm always ultra conservative on, you know, throwing around the, uh, the old equity word there, but I, I totally agree with you. And obviously there's a reason why we're doing this project. And there's also a reason which I, I sort of glazed over a couple of really important things. So let me backtrack. Um, you're, you're right. The rents are going to be a little bit less than 1%, which we have in our typical model. So in that 160, 170 price point, uh, the rents are going to be in the 13, $1,400 range. So you're right. You still have a very good cash on cash return, but I totally agree with you that we're getting into this project um, at a really good time. And um, honestly, I think that there will be some solid sweat equity in there by the time the thing's built out. I, I think there's sweat equity in it, in it now. Um, there's some sales comparables um, just south of us that Lamar is doing um, in the 180 to 190 range um, in the same exact square footage. So I think that there's some built-in equity now, and we're, we're obviously, um, you know, trying to leave some, leave some money on the table for the end user or the the investor, simply because that that all ties back to the the cash on cash returns. If we're if we're too aggressive with the pricing, um, it's going to drive down the return, and then obviously you're not going to get the the response that you're getting. I mean, there's a reason why we sold out two thirds of it before we even put the 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 first uh, hammer on it. Um, so in a nutshell, I think you're, you're hitting a good point there. There's cash now from the, from the, the rental income, and, the, and, and there's definitely going to be cash later when it's a, a healthy time to sell and, and sort of manage everyone's expectations on that, uh, which I know I talked about in the previous episode. Again, Jacksonville is a solid working class town. Um, nothing radical happens here as far as you know, a huge run up and then a falling off the cliff, at least in these neighborhoods. You know, that does happen in the higher end areas of Jacksonville and like out at the beaches. Uh, but in these, in these working class neighborhoods, um, you're definitely going to be a little bit more stable, slow, steady growth. So I would still look out, you know, that three to five years um, before you even um, would consider selling. And obviously I'll communicate with all of our investor base when I, what's going on in the market, you know, where are we at in the cycle as we sort of move through the, the recovery. Perfect. Well, those are on our website right now. And if anyone is listening and wants more information, just give our office a call. Talk to your investment counselor. We'll give you more information on the project, the location, the development. We can put you in touch with our boots on the ground. And if you want to go and take a look, I guess at some point in time, there'll be uh, some finished products so we can go out there and, and tour this particular product. Yeah. Yeah. We give, we give tours all the time. We have one going on today and we had a, a bus full of people yesterday. So we have an open door policy. If, uh, your, your community wants to come out. And if they want to, you know, do business virtually, obviously we, we do a ton of that as well. So any, whatever's best for the investor, we can, we can facilitate. Super. Brian, anything else you want to add? 
No, no, it's just great to uh, catch up and, uh, you know, excited about the opportunity just to manage everyone's expectations. I think I mentioned very briefly, we are, um, you know, negotiating some other projects of similar size. I, I love that little footprint, you know, that, you know, 10 to 15 acres, you know, 30 to 40 homes, uh, because, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're able to control all the moving parts a lot better, um, instead of going into these really large, uh, building projects where, you know, a lot of things can change because by the time something like that's built out, obviously markets can shift on you. So yeah. we'll just keep being nimble and quick like we are, like we've always been and, um, you know, try to provide a really good service to the, to the, uh, to the investor. And I think I did mention, you know, we're going to be holding a, a, a few of these as rentals ourselves in Glen, the Meadows. Cause again, it's for us, it's always put the, put your money where your mouth is. And so my partner and I are going to hold a couple of these and enjoy the, uh, you know, the, the cash flow and then the equity growth, like we talked about. Sounds like a great opportunity. And if we have to create a waiting list, well, then we have to create a waiting list. So, but keep us posted on your future projects too. And we'll keep those posted up on the website. Awesome. It's great. Uh, great catching up with you, Marco. And I look forward to uh, serving the community. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, answer a few listener questions here. The first one comes from Joseph and he says, hello, I have been thoroughly enjoying your podcast. My name is Joseph. I am 25. I hold a master's degree in nonprofit leadership and beginning my PhD in intellectual studies, intercultural studies, excuse me. However, I am desiring to build a strong passive income outside my profession, uh, as many people do. Uh, real estate has always been a passion. I want to build a strong asset portfolio where do you suggest I begin? Do I begin by flipping a few properties? Thank you, Joseph. Joseph, great question. A lot of beginning investors have similar type questions. Uh, you are um, fairly young, and so you have a lot of time on your side. But regardless of where you're starting, the first step is to always build your knowledge base. Educate yourself, participate in blogs, listen to podcasts, read books, Books are like having mentors in your pocket. You can learn from other people's experience, successes, mistakes, and they are just a fantastic learning tool. So educate yourself with when, whatever you can, wherever you can. Books are portable and convenient, and there are a lot of seminars and uh, other free resources out there. So that's always the starting point. Build your knowledge and, and learn to talk the talk. And of course, you know, you are learning, um, you know, more information about your career and it sounds like you're in school. I assume you're in school full time. Um, if you are employed, I strongly suggest you keep your, your job. You want that income. You need the employment to be able to qualify for financing regardless of what you're doing. So, uh, hang on to that income stream. Don't, and this, this is a suggestion that I make for anybody and everybody because some people want to go into real estate quote unquote full time and what they think that means is quitting their job so they can focus all their time and energy on investing but if you do that you actually you're you're actually cutting your own throat you're you're cutting off your income which you need to qualify um, for financing so keep the jobs keep the work keep the income you need it to qualify for financing but you can build up to that now Regarding your question about beginning by flipping properties, whether you are planning to wholesale properties or flip properties to build up chunks of cash, in other words, a cash stash, 
that's not a bad idea. If you have the ability and the desire to do that, by all means, go ahead and do whatever it takes. If you want to run a small business or start a small business on the side to generate some additional income, go ahead and do it because the hurdle that a lot of investors have is not usually credit. It's cash or capital to deploy. And and if you have the capital, then you have the down payment required to make that acquisition. And as long as you can finance it, then you're well on your way. And you just have to keep saving enough and saving enough. And I'm not a believer in saving cash. The only reason to save cash, in my opinion, is to build up enough for your down payments to keep acquiring one property after another to build your build up your portfolio. So save as fast as you can, as much as you can, until you have enough for that down payment. That could be fifteen thousand dollars, could be twenty thousand, could be thirty thousand. But if you have fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand, you have enough to purchase an eighty or a hundred or one hundred twenty thousand dollar property. That's assuming twenty percent down with some closing costs. So that's really where you're at. That's how you start. Educate yourself. Make sure you have income. Expand your income. Um, I'm not a big believer in budgeting. Um, I'm frugal, so I like cutting costs. But again, the important thing here is to build up that down payment capital as quickly as you can and then immediately get rid of it, meaning deploy it, invest it. So that is um, my suggestion to you. And um, hopefully you enjoy your career, but, uh, but real estate can always be done in addition to and on the side of whatever career or line of work you are in. The uh, next question uh, comes from Edgar, and he asks about tax rates for out-of-state investors, which kind of threw me off a little bit because I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. He says, hello, Marco. Do non-residential investors incur a higher property tax rate when investing out of state? I've heard it is common for investors investing out of state to be taxed as high as 2%. If so, how does that affect their cash flow, but more importantly, an investor's cash on cash return? I am highly interested in investing in turnkey property out of state and want to avoid any surprises with a higher tax rate that initially anticipated uh, that could negatively impact my monthly cash flow. Okay, Edgar, um, somehow this question sounds familiar, and I hope I didn't cover it in a previous episode. If I did, I apologize, but I'm going to assume that I have not. Property taxes are set regardless of who you are or where you come from. So if you are an investor locally, out of state or out of the country, property taxes are property taxes. They are what they are. They're set. And, you know, we don't like paying property taxes. In fact, most people don't really care to pay a lot in taxes, but property taxes are unavoidable. It's uh, it's really how the states and, and municipalities generate their revenue to pay for whatever they need to pay for. And real estate tax rates vary all across the board uh, in the U.S., you know, with 50, well, if you want to count it as 51, but let's just say, you know, across 50 states, you will see tax rates as high as 2.29% in New Jersey, uh, 2.25% in Illinois, 2.1% in New Hampshire, uh, 1.97% in Wisconsin. And a big one that a lot of people talk about is saying it's very high is Texas at 1.93%. Most people just round that up to 2%. And Texas is a very, very active, popular and a great state to be investing in. It has been for many years. 
but um, you know, keep in mind by the time you add um, all the different layers of taxes for the county and municipality or the city, you know, you're probably in the two to three percent range. However, don't let that discourage you, and here's why. The reason is is because in a lot of these states, not all of them, but a lot of them, where you have relatively speaking higher tax rates, that is often made up by the rental income on that property. So you can't be one-dimensional or one-sided when you look at this and say, well, I'm not going to invest in Texas or Michigan or Ohio or wherever it may be because the tax rates are quote-unquote too high. The fact of the matter is, is that's only one line item, one expense item on your income and expense statement or your profit and loss. So you have to look at the bigger picture. What am I taking in? What is the gross rental income? And then subtract your property taxes. You subtract your property insurance and, of course, property management. And then you'll budget for vacancy allowance and your maintenance and repairs. What's left over is your net operating income. That is what your property is producing each and every month as far as gross profit. Now, if you are financing your purchase, of course, you're going to deduct one more thing, and that is your debt service. That's your mortgage payment. What's left over typically is going to be positive, but what's left over is your net cash flow. So to be myopic and focus on property tax rates alone, you might be, what's the saying, uh, tripping over dollars to go after nickels. You have to look at the whole picture. You need to look at how much is coming in and how much is left over. Most importantly, how much is left over. So don't be too focused on property tax rates. Now, back to your question. Uh, the property tax rates are the same for everybody. It doesn't change regardless of where you, you live um, or who owns the property. You might be thinking potentially of income taxes and, and how that applies to you based on where you live. And that's just a personal financial question that I can't answer for you because I don't have enough information on your situation, but I'm sure you know what that is. And if you don't know, then just check with your personal tax advisor. They can certainly run those numbers. Of course, you could always do a search online and find out what your state taxes are for income generated from rental real estate. So I hope that is helpful, but um, it's a pretty straightforward question and it has nothing to do with where you live. This third and final question I'll go over today is um, a little bit complicated. It's a very long, detailed email that I received from Sunny. Um, I'm not sure and I don't remember what state Sunny is in, but I believe it's in a highly overvalued cyclical market where property values are pretty high. And I can see that as well because he says the current home value is 675000 What his question is, is he's wondering if it makes sense to do a cash out refinance and redeploy those funds that he pulls out into income producing real estate. So building a portfolio of rental properties. Again, his email is very long and very detailed. It's full of numbers. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically what he is asking is, does it make sense to do a cash out refi? He's sitting on about 300000 in cash, deployable cash. Uh, they, meaning he, him and his family, bring in about $100,000 per year of investable cash, which is a great position to be in. And um, he's able to pull out 
uh, about $500,000 in his property, meaning that it would leave him with a new mortgage to replace an existing mortgage that only has $175,000 remaining at a very attractive rate of 2.875% for 15 years. So some people might look at that and say, well, geez, you only have X number of years left over at a very, very low attractive rate. Why don't you just pay it off? And then you're sitting on your principal residence, free and clear with lots of equity. Well, that goes full circle to the root problem. And that is that there is no return on equity. Equity sits dormant. It's it's dormant equity. It's not producing any income or cash flow for you. In fact, it's not generating any return on investment. So whenever you hear someone say return on equity, that's a misnomer and it's just misguided. There is no return on equity. So you're sitting on a situation where you have equity in a property that you can potentially pull out and pull it out tax-free and move that equity. You're not eliminating it. You're moving that equity into other income-producing assets. And that's exactly what Sonny's looking to do. So by doing that, you can diversify and expand your portfolio, increase your overall cash flow, because right now there is no cash flow on that equity. His goal in his email is to create a $5,000 per month passive net income. Um, and he's looking to achieve a target of 12% cash on cash return, which is achievable still today, even though property values across many markets around the country have um, gone up and it's slowly eroding away a lot of these returns that we see in various markets, but they're still there. So I did some quick math and what you can do with the capital that you're sitting on, the 300,000 plus the 100,000 per year, plus potentially up to $500,000 of equity that can be pulled out tax-free from the principal residence is deploy that across 16 properties. The assumption being that these are $100,000 properties. The second assumption is that we are putting 25% down, even though you can do 20% down on the first four uh, per person. So a married couple could do a total of eight with 20% down. And hopefully this is not getting too convoluted, but I am trying to really just boil it down to the core numbers. And it really works out to be the following. 16 properties at $25,000 down, which is 25% down on a $100,000 property, is 400,000 in invested capital. Now, the assumption here is that you've got properties that are not quite fully leveraged, but close to. So you've got properties that are 75% leveraged. And I just picked a couple of properties off of our website that are around the $100,000 purchase price. Those $100,000 properties rent for about $1,000 a month in gross rental income. After you deduct all expenses plus the debt service, you are left over with about $300 per month, sometimes a little bit more, but let's just be very conservative here and call it $300 per month. So 300 a month times 16 properties is just shy of $5,000 per month in passive rental income. And you still have your $400,000 in equity. They're just spread across 16 properties instead of all in one property in a cyclical market which probably has higher downside risk than these other properties that you would be investing in. So you've actually eliminated 
uh, a lot of your downside risk potential by spreading and diversifying into other markets, moving that equity around, generating 5000 per month in rental income. And if you pulled this out of your principal residence and now you have a new mortgage, your $5,000 per month will easily cover the debt service, or in other words, your monthly mortgage payment on your principal residence that you have now placed there for that four hundred or 500000 in equity that you're pulling out. So it makes financial sense. And a lot of times the numbers will help you make your decisions. They will help guide you into making the right decisions. That's the nice thing about income real estate or investment real estate is that the numbers guide you and you can separate yourself from the emotional aspect of it. You're not shopping for a house for yourself and you need the right paint, the right carpet, the right colors in the house, etc. These are rental grade properties that you're looking at and they're really just space that you're renting. So when you look at it objectively, you can make rational and objective decisions. So Sonny, I've taken your email and I've really boiled it down into you know the bottom line because I just wanted to skip over a lot of the math and and pros and cons that you've outlined here, but I think you get the drift and and you see where I'm going. I think there are far more pros than cons here. The only cons, um, if you want to even call it that, is you're you're resetting the clock, if you will, by putting a new mortgage, a new 15 or 30 year mortgage on that property at a slightly higher interest rate. And although that may not be a bad thing because you're actually coming out further ahead, uh, you still can accelerate the mortgage payments on that property and meet or exceed the same payoff cycle that you have right now. Anyway, we can talk about that. You can always uh, give one of our investment counselors a call or you can give me a call and we can talk about it further. Anyway, that's it for now. So I will cover some more investor questions or listener questions on another episode. Uh, be sure to download our free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. We get a lot of great feedback on that, and I, and I know it's been helpful for many, many people. Uh, please go ahead, submit your questions for me on our website, PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Just click the Ask Marco link, and I will cover your questions on future episodes. Um, if you are on the fence or thinking about investing in real estate and you haven't pulled the trigger, but you know you are getting close or you need to, then by all means, give one of our investment counselors a call for a free strategy session. Remember to subscribe and um, thanks once again for all your great ratings and reviews on iTunes. And we'll see you all on our next episode. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.